And uh, it's, it's one of them things that if you're not if you're not studying about it at the present time, uh, it's hard to remember all that stuff. But he had asked a question about a uh, a verse there in the back of the Bible there in Revelations uh, 22 in the last chapter, and uh, I've been. Uh, looking over some stuff, refreshing my thoughts on it in uh, Revelations 22. And he had asked a question about uh, verse uh, 18 and 19 where uh, John said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written uh, in this book. And uh, uh, I couldn't really remember all that I'd read on it back through the years, but I will tell you it's one of those places that uh, if you have a lot of commentaries or you have a study Bible, it's one of them places that everybody leapfrogs over uh, or they don't have a whole lot to say about it uh, because uh, if you, especially if you're Baptist, uh, we believe in eternal security. Uh, they get shook up when they read that part about uh, he shall take away his part out of the book of life and of the holy city. And uh, so uh, after uh, rereading everything, uh, which basically told me nothing really, uh, but after re- reading everything and, and uh, kind of refreshing my memory, I say just a couple of things about it. Uh, one of them is, uh, and I think this was brought up during that time uh, last week. Uh, somebody said that, that this applied to the whole Bible or just to this book. Uh, well, I think it's just this book. Uh, when you read what he wrote there, he said, "I testify unto every man." that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, and I believe he's talking about the book John's writing. And, uh, and then in verse 19, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. Uh, so I think uh, it's pretty plain there that what it's saying, it's in connection with the book of the Revelations. Uh, now, it's always... Uh, it's always dangerous to tamper with God's Word. Uh, that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 1 when God's speaking to them there. And He said, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Uh, ye shall not add unto the word which I commanded you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you might keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which I have commanded you. So that's uh, it's always wrong to mess with God's word. And then again in Deuteronomy 12, uh, I think it uh, kind of says the same thing there, uh, down to the last verse there in Deuteronomy 12. Uh, so whatsoever what things soever I command you observe to do it, and thou shalt not add thereunto nor diminish from it. Uh, so again, he uh, uh, the Bible, the word of God is uh, it's the highest thing God has. 
in uh, Psalms 138, verse 2, uh, he says there, uh, he said, I will worship again toward thy holy temple. I'll praise thee for loving kindness and truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's pretty high. Puts his word even above his name. And uh, so, uh, number one, it applies to this book of Revelations. Number two, nobody should ever mess with the Word of God. Number three, uh, the plagues and taking the part out, it would have to have to do with people during the tribulation time. Because he says, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Okay, the plagues. We're going to read about a lot of plagues in Revelations. And uh, so the, it would have to have to do with somebody that was living during uh, the tribulation time, uh, according to what he says there. Uh, now, uh, there's a couple places in the Bible that uh, sometimes get people tore up about their name being taken out of the book of life. And one of them's back in Revelation 3, and uh, it's the church there at Sardis. And the Bible said, Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If thou therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I'll come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, uh, people read that verse and they read it with a wrong, with a, from the wrong side. They read it thinking it's saying he's going to take your name out. I'm going to blot your name out. And really he's saying I'm not going to blot it out if you overcome. Uh, now, uh, who is it that overcomes? We'll turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and uh, look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is a victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God. So that's a saved person. And a saved person is the one that overcomes. And so the Bible says if, if you're saved and overcome, he said, I won't blot your name out of the book of life. Now, uh, I personally believe, and I've looked at it from every angle, and I've studied it from every angle, but I personally believe that everybody that's born into this world, that their name is in that book. And the Bible said in uh, Revelations 2, it said God gives everybody a space to repent. That's the time you're here on this earth. If you get saved while you're here on this earth, your name will not be blotted out of that book. But if you live this life and you don't get saved, 
your name will be blotted out of the book of life. And that's why we sang that song, Please Search the Book Again. Uh, and uh, because uh, I know uh, it's uh, debatable about when some people say that that's wrote in there when you got saved. Uh, well, I don't really know where they get that at, but in Luke chapter, I know a lot of songs say that, but in Luke chapter 10, the disciples came back rejoicing and everything, and in verse 20, the Lord Jesus says, uh, Notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Uh, so there's some that say when you get saved, your name's written in there. Uh, like I said, I believe everybody's name's in there, and if you don't get saved, when you die, it's blotted out. Uh, that's what I believe. Uh, but, uh, a lot of people argue about when's your name writ wrote in there. Uh, Billy Mitchell said it the best I ever heard anybody say it. And uh, he said, a fellow asked him, said, uh, uh, when is your name written in the book of life? And Brother Billy said, well, I don't know when it was written there, but I know when I found out about it. And uh, that's a pretty good answer. Uh, amen. And uh, so main thing, just make sure that your name is in the book of life. But that's about the best I can do on that verse. And and I'll tell you, after looking at a lot of other things, it's a lot better than a lot of other people done with it. I'll say that if I did say it. Uh, but uh, most people just skip over it and don't even say anything. But tonight, we're, uh, we're in uh, Revelations uh, verses 9 through 12 tonight. Just a few verses. We, uh, tonight, we're still in the introduction uh, tonight of this. And uh, the Bible said, I, John, also, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatica, and unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Alright, John, uh, as we read there, uh, John is exiled on the island of Patmos, is where he's at. And if you look that up on a map, uh, that's in the Aegean Sea. Of course, over in the uh, Middle East, he's on the island of Patmos. And the reason he's there, he's there for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. And uh, he says there that he's our brother and companion in tribulation. So John is not ashamed to be called your brother uh, in tribulation. You know, a lot of times uh, uh, when a brother has tribulation, uh, the other brothers are ashamed uh, to be associated with them. Uh, you remember uh, when Paul got in prison, uh, he was so thankful because Eratibus, uh came to see him. And you remember what he said? He said he wasn't ashamed of my chain. Uh, in other words, Paul was in prison for preaching and his testimony of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and, uh, and his friend there, was Onesipus, was not afraid to come uh, 
and, uh, and Eratibus and to see him and to visit him. And so we certainly, uh, as Christians, we certainly ought never be ashamed to be associated with a brother or sister that has been incarcerated for something to do with the Word of God. I mean, like, uh, you know, we've seen a little bit that during this COVID thing where they've arrested some preachers and, and right now they're threatening some preachers out in California. And uh, last I heard, uh, John or Jack Trever, uh, I'm sure he's up to $60,000, $70,000 in fines now. And, uh, and John MacArthur, they, uh, of course, stopped his parking area. And, uh, but you need to remember this, though. There's 50 states in the United States. And there's only one that's doing that kind of stuff. Now, one day there may be a lot more of them doing that kind of stuff. But right now there's only one. California's always been extreme. Uh, they've always been nutty. They've always hated the things of God. And so we're not surprised. Now, on the other hand, let me say this. There's 50 states in the United States. Only one of them is taking that type of measures. But it's still troubling because they're still a part of the United States. And it's troubling that any state in the United States would treat gospel preachers in the church uh, the way that they're treating gospel preachers in the church. And uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, you know, if somebody said something, uh, oh, you see that Jack Trever, he went against laws and he's kept his church open, now he's got all them fines, and we ought to, we ought to be able to say, yeah, uh, I'm with him, I'm one of them. Uh, I'm praying for him. I'm, I'm hoping something will work out. I'm hoping the president will step in or somebody, attorney general, somebody that's got some authority to do something. And, uh, and, and we need to be praying for, for them making a part. We don't have to think, well, that's way over there and I'm way over here, so that don't affect me. Well, it's kind of like throwing a pebble in the pond. The ripple goes all the way across and we'll get a little bit of it. But uh, you and I, we, we have not known uh, too much tribulation uh, where we live. I mean, we've all had some at work or uh, maybe young people at school or maybe in your community where that uh, somebody's harassed you a little bit for being a Christian, but uh, most of us, uh, we hadn't done that. And uh, I don't know how much of it we could take. Uh, I'd say that if a, if a person can't come to church a few times a week, they're probably not going to go to jail, be my guess. Uh, but uh, you never know, you know, till you put there to the test. Uh, as Brother Steve said Sunday, we never know what we'll do until the test comes up. We think we know what we'll do. We hope we know what we'll do. Uh, but we won't really know how much faith we got till it's put to the test. That's one of the reasons our faith is tested. Uh, not so God will know how much we got, but so we'll know how much we got. Uh, so uh, John is there on the island of Patmos for uh, his testimony uh, of the Word of God and of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, uh, he said, uh, I'm your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to this business of Jesus Christ, you better have some patience. You say, why? Well, 
we done read there back in verse uh, 1 and 2, he talked about uh, these things must shortly come to pass. And uh, here we are, that was A.D. 96, here we are 2020, and the Lord don't never get in a bigger hurry as we do. And uh, I found out studying Bible prophecy that they all make the same mistake. They all get in too big a hurry. Uh, Every time something happens, they, they think the Lord's right here upon us. That's happened over and over down through the years. But the thing we have to remember is the Lord's slow to anger. And uh, He's long-suffering. Uh, yeah, if Mary, you would have been in control, this thing had been over 300 years ago. Uh, but God's long-suffering. He, he waits around so a few people, more people can get in. And uh, we done looked last week at one day with us, the Lord's a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And uh, so the Lord don't get in no big hurry. The Bible said, Second uh, Timothy 3 and 12, all who live godly will suffer persecution. Now, it doesn't say all that live godly will suffer great persecution. Uh, it doesn't, there's a lot of people that have lived godly that suffered hardly any persecution uh, back through the last 100 years, especially here in America. But nobody that's godly does not suffer, go without suffering persecution. Either a little bit or a lot. Uh, either minute or extreme. Uh, if you live for God, you are going to suffer persecution. The degree of the persecution you suffer will depend on where you live. I'm not suffering as much persecution as them people out in California now. You say, why? Because all my, all my leaders... All the people of the, in the leadership, they're not all, not all atheists and infidels and God-haters and Bible rejectors. But the people out in California, they're not suffering as much persecution as they are in China. You say, why? Because China is a communistic nation that will not tolerate it. And so the amount of suffer, persecution you suffer even though you may live as godly as somebody else, will determine to a greater extent on when you live and also the period of time that you live in. If you had lived in the early parts of the church age, great persecution. Cut your head off. Put you in prison. Beat your backs. Uh, But if you lived in the last hundred years in the church age and lived in America... Hardly nothing, hardly nothing really. But if you are living after the rapture of the church and maybe right before the rapture of the church, greater persecution. Uh, so the Bible says all those that live godly will suffer persecution. John reminds us that we are in the kingdom and we must have the patience uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this thing it takes patience. You don't get all your prayers answered today. Some of them, I talk to people that's been praying about stuff for 20 or 30 years uh, and uh, praying somebody get saved. That's a long time. I know some uh, moms have been praying for their kids for a long time. You've got to have patience. The Bible said, uh, uh, said, remember the patience of Job. We use that as a phrase. Boy, they got the patience of Job. Uh, but Job was patient during his trials. So John was in the island of Patmos. 
This is an eight-mile-long island that runs north to south. It's about 50 miles uh, from the nearest village that would be across the waters from it. Now, what good could possibly come from God allowing a, a Christian like John to be exiled on an island called Patmos, probably all by himself? What good could come out of that? Well, uh, yeah, the only, the only good thing that could come out of it would be this book we're studying uh, tonight. If God hadn't put John there away from everything else, uh, he may have not never been able to get close enough to God to see the vision. Uh, so a lot of times we look at where God puts Christians at and we think, why? What good can come out of it? But if God puts you there, there's going to be some good to come out of it. Uh, if we just be patient and wait on the Lord. Now John was there for the Word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And uh, whenever you take a stand for the Lord, uh, and give a, take a stand for the Lord, you testify, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm one of His, uh, well, you're going to have some problems. Now, verse 10 said, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. Now, I've heard this preached a lot of times, and it's all right, it makes good preaching. And a lot of times good preaching is not always sound doctrine. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, it, don't, it don't have to be. Uh, a lot of times uh, you can take a parable that might have to do with Israel and you can bring it into the church age and uh, get some preaching out of it uh, and maybe somebody gets saved and God use it. But I've heard a lot of preachers preach on verse 10 and uh, they said John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and they say John was in the Spirit on Sunday. And said, we all ought to be in the Spirit on Sunday. Well, I agree with you. We ought to all be in the Spirit on Sunday. Uh, but I don't believe that's what the Bible's talking about right here. And uh, when it says John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, uh, if you look over in uh, 1 Thessalonians, you'll find out that a lot of times uh, uh, the Lord's day is Sunday. We call that the Lord's day. But in the Bible, there's also another uh, a day that's called the, the Day of the Lord, the Lord's Day. And uh, over in Second uh, Thessalonians, I find my place here, chapter five. Verse two, the Bible said, "For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night." Talking about the Lord's coming. Now look in the Second Thessalonians chapter two, and uh, look again in verse two, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Talking about the coming of the Lord. Uh, look over in the book of uh, Joel, uh, Joel chapter two in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, I think it's verse 1. Anybody found it? Yeah, read, read on. Verse 
with you. There it is, the day of the Lord. So, uh, the end of time, the, uh, the rapture, the revelation, uh, there's different names for that in the Bible, but one of them is the day of the Lord. And uh, what happens, I believe what happened here, I believe that John, uh, he's in A.D. 96, but he's in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, he's transported out into the future. And he sees things that are, that are going to happen uh, thousands of years before the time that he's writing this book. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Chapter 4, he talks about being caught up into heaven. So what it's saying is that he's, he's transported in the Spirit that he can see what's going to happen at the end of time and the coming of the Lord and the revelation and all of that. And uh, so that's what uh, that's what I believe it's uh, meaning there in that verse. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So uh, while the Spirit is always in us, we're not always in the Spirit. Would you agree with that? Uh, we always have the Spirit in us. Uh, a lot of times we'll say, "Boy, well, Caleb, you're really in the Spirit up there leading singing today," or we'll say. Boy, that evangelist, he was really in the Spirit today. Or sister so-and-so was really in the Spirit. Well, we're always in the Spirit as far as Him being in us. But in a matter of speaking, we're not always in the Spirit. But John is uh, here, and, uh, and so I believe that's what's going on, going on there with John. Uh, we're told that he heard a great voice behind him. Said, John said, I heard a great voice. Uh, a voice uh, is like a trumpet, he said. John said, I heard a great voice like a trumpet. Now, two things about a trumpet. If I had a guitar and a piano player and a drum player and a banjo player and I had a trumpet player, you think you could designate which one was the trumpet if you was in another room? Well, all those instruments have a distinction, uh, but the trumpet is more distinct than any of the others. Uh, sometimes a banjo and a guitar can almost blend, uh, but a trumpet is a distinct sound. And so John says, I, I heard a distinct voice. Something else about a trumpet. A trumpet is loud. Loud. Uh, you don't never hear a soft trumpet. Trumpets are always loud. So this voice that John heard, it was a loud voice. A loud voice. That's what it was. Uh, let me back up here a little bit. And, uh, last part of last week's lesson, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, the Alpha and the Omega... It's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Or if we were saying it in English, we'd say Jesus Christ is A to Z and everything in between. Uh, so the A is the beginning of the alphabet and uh, the end of the alphabet. Uh, and, so, uh, and so he's saying that Jesus is the beginning and He's the end. 
The Bible said in Hebrews 12 that He's the author and the finisher of what? Your faith. So Jesus started your faith and Jesus will end your faith. That's why He can say that I'm persuaded that that good work that He began in you, He will finish. He will complete. He'll keep until the coming of the Lord. Now there's seven churches we'll get into in chapter 2. They're all listed for you there uh, in that one verse 11. It's Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatica, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, if you didn't get them, they're all right there in verse 11 for you. The Lord put them all right there for you in one verse. And those are seven literal churches that existed. It'd be like saying Bethel Baptist, Calvary, Canaan Land, and naming seven churches in this area. Those were seven distinct real churches that existed uh, around John. And they were literal churches. But we'll see when we get over into them that even though they were little churches and even though each one had their different problems except for Philadelphia, uh, that they also are a picture of the whole church age. When we say the church age, we're, we're talking about when the church began in Pentecost and when it ends at the rapture of the church. That's what we call the church age. The church age. It'll end in chapter 3 at the, when the Laodicean church. It'll end with it when we get over there. Now, the Lord tells John, uh, He said, uh, what you see, He said, write in a book. Write in a book. Now, of course, I hope you know where the book is. We're holding it. Revelation. So John obeyed the Lord. And uh, he wrote in the book what God told him to write. And the holy man of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But John wrote as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. And uh, this was very, this looks like it, and it would be easy to do, you know, somebody's telling you something and you're, they say, write down what I'm telling you. But really it was a very difficult task for John to do this. Uh, does anyone know why it was? Right, there's a lot of things in there that he's never seen before. A lot of things he can't explain. It'd be like you're, uh, your grandfather uh, be like him 60 years ago trying to describe a cell phone. Uh, never seen one. It'd be like uh, somebody in the 1800s and uh, horse and buggy days trying to describe a car or a, a truck or a bridge or road or things that we have today. And so, uh, so when John tries to describe it, he does the only thing he can do. He describes it by the things he does know. When he gets over to chapter 9 and he starts talking about the demon army and the locusts and all that kind of stuff, he possibly might be describing something in our day, but by doing it was something in his day. Uh, so uh, we need to remember that when we read uh, through the book of the Revelations. Now, 
the Bible said, uh, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And uh, the first thing he says, I turned to see the voice. He heard the voice before he saw the Lord. And uh, that's usually the way it is. We hear the Word of God before we see uh, see the Lord. We hear the preaching, we hear the Word of God, and then, we're, then we start to see the Lord. But the Lord, uh, John does that for a reason. He says, uh, I heard a voice. Now that's what, uh, that's what John the Baptist called himself back in John chapter 1 and verse uh, 23. He said, and they said, Who are you, John? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John said, I'm just a voice. All I am is a voice. God describes Himself that way in Genesis 3. And He said, I heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. Well, they cut John's head off. They stopped John's voice. You can always stop the voice. They crucified Christ. They cut John's head off. You can stop the voice because the voice is a person. But you can't stop the Word. See, they cut Jesus, they, they crucified Jesus and He's not preaching anymore there. But the words that He spoke are eternal. The Bible said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My word shall not pass away. So you can stop the voice, but you can't stop the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then we get over to the end, we're still talking about the Word. So right now, Jesus has a present ministry that I would explain in three ways. He's in heaven. You say, where's He at? He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. That's what the Bible says. And it says in Hebrews 7 and verse 25 that He's up there and He's making intercessions for the saints. He's praying for His church. You say, how could He pray for everybody? Well, it really wouldn't be that hard in a whole lot of ways because a lot of us need the same thing. A lot of us need the same thing, especially when it comes to spiritually. So He's making intercessions for us. He's also making intervention for us. 1 John 2 and 1, the Bible said, God said, don't sin. I don't want you to sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a perpetuation for our sins. That word means an advocate. In our, in our words, it means a lawyer. We have a lawyer. And so, why do we need a lawyer? Because somebody's always accusing us of something. We're always being drug in before the throne. Who's that? The devil. Don't you remember he went up there and the Lord said, what have you been doing? He said, I've been walking up and down throughout the earth. The Lord said, you see Job down there? And the devil said, yeah, but you got a hedge about him. You won't, you won't let anything happen to him. And that's why he loves you. That's why he serves you, because you won't let nothing happen to him. But you let you let something happen to him, and said he'll curse your name. 
The Lord said, okay. He backed the hedge down a little bit and let a lot of stuff happen to him. A lot of stuff to happen to him. But Job made a liar out of the, out of the devil. He thought he had him a couple of times, but Job was faithful all the way till God turned the tables again. And so we got somebody that goes up there and the devil go up there today and, and uh, say, that old Caleb Cowan, I tell you, he ain't worth a dime. And I tell you, that old Caleb Cowan, I tell you this and that and the other. I pick on you because you're on the front row. If you sit back there, I'd pick on Bill. And the Lord, your advocate, would get up and say, now wait a minute. He's one of mine. He's been washed in the blood. And you can't put anything to His account. Because how could you put anything to His account when I'm the only one that died for Him and I'm the only one He sinned against and I ain't holding nothing against Him. I ain't, I ain't pressing no charges. And it don't hurt anything that, that your lawyer is the son of the judge. That don't hurt anything. So the Lord's going to get you through. He's going to get you took care of if you're a child of God. So, uh, hearing, hearing this uh, different times, talk about uh, the Lord and different things He's referred to here. Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man more than any other title in the New Testament. That was His favorite title, is to refer to Himself as the Son of Man. Now, He's also called the Son of Abraham. And he's also called the son of David. But his favorite title is the son of man. Why? Well, when he's referred to as the son of Abraham, that only covers one race, the Jews. When he refers to himself as the son of David, that only covers one family, David's family. But when he refers to himself as the son of man, that covers everybody. Every race, every family, He can deal with and He can help everybody. And He wants to do that and He does do that and I'm glad He, he helps you and I'm glad He helps me. Uh, but His favorite title for Himself is the Son of Man. I think you'll find that more in Luke's Gospel than you will uh, any of the other Gospels. But 80 times... He refers to Himself as, as that. Well, it gets us down to verse 12. And uh, we like a little bit on the introduction, verse 13 through 19. Uh, but we'll just take it slow and get through it a little bit at a time. We're out of time. All right. Yes. Yes.